welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. My name is Anna Sagar, reporter at Mortgage Solutions and assistant editor for Specialist Lending Solutions. And I'm really excited to be chairing this podcast today, which will be looking at the lived experiences of our guests and myself, who are mixed race, which this will cover the ups and downs and what companies can do to better support and include mixed race employees. To set the scene, According to the latest census figures from the Office for National Statistics, which came out a few weeks ago, 2.9% of the population of England and Wales identified with mixed or multiple ethnic groups. This is around 1.7 million people and is up from 1.2 million in 2011 when the census was last taken. There's a huge amount of diversity within that group, including white and Asian, white and black Caribbean, white and black African and other as a category. All of these groups have risen and are forecast to rise even further in the future. Despite the growing visibility and importance of the mixed race demographic in the UK, there are still issues that in all honesty, we should not have to be facing in the 21st century. Amy's diversity and inclusivity report showed that those from ethnic minorities anecdotally said racist remarks were not uncommon. Around 13% of ethnic minority colleagues interviewed for the report said that they were likely to feel a sense of exclusion at work. And around half of those from an ethnic minority background disagreed that diversity and inclusion was taken seriously in the sector. So today I'm talking to Chloe Hilton, Regional Manager and Surveyor at Legal and General Surveying Services, and Rob Gill, who is Managing Director of Altura Finance, about their experiences and what we can do differently as an industry. Welcome, both of you. I thought I'd kick off just by asking what was quite a contentious question, actually, is where are you guys from or what your background is? And maybe that would segue nicely into how you kind of feel about being asked that question generally. Is it something that you get asked a lot of? And is there a better way to ask that question? So my heritage is I was born in England and my mom is white from Liverpool, but we have a lot of Irish heritage on that side of the family. And then my father was born in Birmingham, but his family, my granddad and nan are from the West Indies, Jamaica and St. Kitts. And then to kind of answer your question with regards to do I get asked where I'm from I don't often know and I think that's predominantly because I have quite a light complexion so if I straighten my hair and don't tan which I try not to skin cancer and all that most people who haven't necessarily been around kind of a diverse amount of people they tend to think that I'm white so most people don't tend to ask me where I'm from but if I say oh, well, I'm mixed heritage. There's this kind of like a move backwards of, oh, really, are you? Well, you don't look it and well, where are you from? And so I tend to get challenged a little bit more that, well, are you really half black because you don't look it? Rob, what about you? Is it something that you get asked a lot and is there a better way 
or a way that is preferable to ask that question? I do get asked it occasionally, more often previously when I was living sort of just outside of London and it was predominantly a white area, so there'd just be some curiosity around it. Is there a good way of asking? I'm not sure, but I guess the key message for me would be don't push it. If you ask me where I'm from and I tell you I'm from North London, then I'm from North London. There's been a lot written about this, as you've mentioned, for recent events and a blog piece that I read on the BBC sort of summed it up quite nicely for me. It was sort of, if you're asking that question and you're really pushing, the sort of subtext is, you can't be from here. You know, if I'm out with a group of people and I say I'm from London and they're all from London, but I'm the one who gets pushed, where are you really from? As I say, you're really sort of challenging on me knowing where I'm from and then I'm, I can't be from the same place as everyone else because I look different. Uh, my other take on this is for my children. So my heritage is mixed white and West African. My wife is white Belgian. And we have two children, two boys who were aged six and 12. So a bit of a gap between the two of them. The older one, he looks white. He's got sort of dark blonde hair. He has fair skin. And I don't think anyone's ever going to ask him that question. He just looks white unless maybe they meet me and then maybe they're more interested. My youngest, however, while they look very similar, they do have different colouring. My youngest has dark brown hair quite dark brown eyes and, and darker skin. And people start to wonder about him. He perhaps looks more ambiguous than I do. I think I basically look like I'm of an Afro-Caribbean heritage, even though I'm mixed heritage. And so people don't necessarily have the amount of curiosity, but with him, they seem to. And uh, it's my wife who's getting asked the questions because when I'm with him, people probably don't wonder. They look at me, they look at him and they can work it out. But people will ask her quite a lot now. People will take wild guesses. I think someone came up to her in the street a neighbour who knew vaguely and asked he was Malaysian. It's sort of bizarre. So she's getting that now, which she's not used to being a, a white Belgian. And that's a bit frustrating for her. So I think the key message is you have to be very careful how you ask. And if the answer comes back, well, he's from London or his dad's from London, then you take the first answer, as someone put it recently. I totally agree. You have to question why you're asking the question in the first place, because it's not asking where someone's from. It's asking basically, why do you look the way you do? Why do you have that colouring? And it is, even if it's not intended that way, it does make you feel like a bit of an outsider. It kind of makes you feel very different. And that can make you feel quite uncomfortable. I mean, personally, my dad's family, they moved over to Manchester in the 1950s. They're originally from northern India. And my mum's grew up in Hereford, which is near the Welsh border. So I've kind of got, I say like ambiguous colouring. I kind of get the race bingo of people saying, oh, but you must be Malaysian or you maybe you're Latin American or maybe you're this. And it's frustrating. And then I relate to what you said about your wife, because my mum, she's got red hair and blue eyes. We don't really physically look very alike. And so when me and my sister were babies going around the playground, the mums would just be like, oh, so you must be the nanny. Or I know their parents and she's just like, no, you don't because I'm their mum. And she thinks she found that quite difficult because just because she doesn't look physically like us as much as my dad does, that's quite difficult. I think overall, I do agree with what everyone said is that you just need to take the first answer. And then I think also just question, why is it important to you to quote unquote know the answer? Just like, why are you pushing it? Why don't you believe them? And maybe just reflect on that a little bit. Everyone's identity is very unique. And I think especially with mixed race, it's very unique. Like no one person is necessarily the same. So I think all of our experiences have been very different. So Robert, in the industry, how has your experience been and how have you kind of noticed any differences just be interested to hear a bit more about that i'd say the industry the mortgage industry is very welcoming it's fairly diverse anyway i don't encounter any overt problems i've been in financial service itself for 25 years and mortgages for 15 so my career spans two quite different areas of financial services 
I guess there have been occasions where I felt like I've been treated differently or regarded differently. And while it isn't obvious there's a race element to that, you do end up reflecting that maybe there might be. So I don't think there's anything overt, but it's uh, occasionally things happen and they're, they're stereotypical of mixed race or black people usually. And you do start to wonder is, is that that's part of the reason why you're being treated or regarded in a certain way. And Chloe, do you have anything to add to that? Because you work on the surveying side. I do. I do. I'm a surveyor. I've been in the industry about eight years. And upon joining the industry, I had an impression that it was very kind of white male dominated. But when I joined, I was very lucky in that the, the company that I was with, they, they had quite a few women. But with regards to diversity, that there wasn't that much there to see of people who look like me or of different ethnic minorities. But the surveying industry has made great strides recently over a number of years now in diversifying their workforce. And so people are more visible now. I've never personally encountered any kind of adverse treatment myself that I've noticed. For me, I've always had more so concerns that because I do tick one of those ethnicity boxes, but I don't look necessarily like an ethnic minority to a lot of people. I suppose I've always had concerns that, well, I'm a box ticker, but a palatable version to people, perhaps, which is an awful thing to say and maybe leans more into maybe my lack of confidence in some areas that I'm, I'm just picked because I tick a box. But it's always there in the back of my mind. But nothing that I've noticed that has directly affected me personally. It's interesting what you said about kind of that box tick exercise. I've been at some events and noticed that I am one of the few brown people in the room. And then also sometimes people have come up to me and said, think something along the lines of, oh, it's so great to have someone like you at this event, which is well-intentioned and they're trying to make me feel welcome, but it just makes you feel more like, oh, I didn't realise I was overly different or I didn't feel like I was standing out that much. And then it just makes you feel quite self-conscious. But I do agree that the mortgage industry as a whole, the diversity inclusion is getting a lot more visible and it is becoming more important. So I kind of feel like, how can I put this? It is growing that kind of the cohort of people from different ethnic backgrounds or different sexualities, their voices are being heard, which is good, but I think we still have a way to go. Yeah, we do. Recruitment comes into that as well. And Rob, I don't know how much recruitment you do yourself, but with myself being in this position, I have kind of power and influence to recruit who I want to. And, and so diversity and inclusion is at the forefront of my mind and I've been able to directly influence that with my recruitment strategy and, and making sure I'm giving people opportunities and, and not just about diversity but about socioeconomic background and various other things so I think it's so important to have people of different ethnic backgrounds in, in all levels of a company so that they can have a different view and, and influence things in a positive way. Yeah I would agree with that we do try and reflect in our equipment we're a fairly small firm so it is perhaps a bit harder to really balance things in, in that respect but we do certainly have that on our agenda and it gets discussed by uh, the directors and the board very regularly diversity and, and, and even more so as time progresses and I think you, you hit the nail on the head there Chloe with one thing you said it needs to be at all levels I talked about how the mortgage industry certainly since I've come into it has always struck me as being fairly diverse, but not necessarily across the board and not necessarily at the higher levels. And it's interesting you mentioned about going to awards. And Chloe and I are both members of the Accrue Network, which probably come up later in this discussion. But one of the things that me and the other founder members always discussed is that you look around the room with two, three hundred people and and only see a very small handful of brown faces. And we all knew each other because we were always the same people at the same events. So it's at the higher levels, I think, where the representation is not quite there yet. So that's the challenge. We may have a fairly diverse group within mortgage broking and the mortgage industry in general, 
But is it well spread? Is it lower and high levels? And the answer is probably there's a way to go there yet. I think that was something that was mentioned in the Amy report was this retention of diverse talent was it's the problems not necessarily getting people into the industry. It's kind of getting them to stay and whether or not there's opportunities for promotion or opportunities to move jobs as easily. Or I think those are things that companies should I'm not saying that they need to, you know, I suppose it's just something to consider or just maybe always think about, are my recruitment processes, promotion processes internally kind of set up to attract the diverse talent and reward talent, I suppose is one thing that companies could look at. We've kind of touched on it already, but I feel like there are a lot of assumptions made about mixed race identity or personally people see me and they assume that I can speak Hindi or that I really, really relate to my Indian culture and that I can kind of talk on behalf of my whole community. And that's not necessarily the case because I'm mixed race and I identify as more British and I grew up in a more white area. I mean, it'd be interesting to get both of your perspectives or kind of like what kind of assumptions do you think people make about mixed race identity? Assumptions about me. I don't think I've experienced that many to my face other than people assuming that I'm white. I think speaking generally, if you are of darker complexion, I've seen that People assume that you are either more black or more white and there is no room to just be both in equal measure. And I suppose that speaks to kind of a cultural adaptation of all the sides and parts of you is that you have to lean into one more than the other and you should identify with one more than the other. So I think what I've experienced is there is this given assumption that, well, you look more white, so therefore you should culturally be more white Whereas I spent half my time pretty much with my white side and my black side and was very much immersed in both cultures and therefore do not identify more strongly with one or the other. So I think that's the only real assumption that I can think of that I've experienced. Yeah, I would agree with that. For me, it's it's maybe the opposite. I, I look more black than white, so people assume I must be leaning into that side of things. Um, whereas in reality, the vast majority of my upbringing and, and culture is white culture. But and sadly, people are probably right. They're probably preempting the fact that you need to be prepared for prejudice based on the colour of your skin. And because it isn't white, you therefore need to lean into that more and, and be prepared, so to speak. So uh, society has probably got a long way to go before that disappears. And it isn't necessarily people's fault for making that assumption. As I say, they're probably making a fair assumption on the basis that that's how you go through life being treated and being looked at. So you should be sort of more in tune with that side of things and your any white culture, sorry, that you feel is more relevant. Yeah, it is interesting that sometimes that kind of white, I say white identity is kind of erased. It's just assumed that you'll identify, like you said, Chloe, more with one aspect than the other. And I think there's something else that you mentioned earlier was that kind of pale privilege because you've been on a different podcast before where you've kind of spoken a bit about that, which is also really challenging to feel like you don't fit in anywhere almost because it's like you're personally, because I grew up in a white area and I went to a very white school But then I still had my dad's family and friends from different ethnic backgrounds, but they would just be like, oh, but you're not properly Indian, you're a coconut because you don't speak the language, you don't go to the Gurdwara or the temple and you don't wear the clothes or do this and you speak in a certain way. You're not actually brown, you're just a coconut, which can be very hurtful. I don't know if that's something that either of you have come across. Yeah, for me, it was the opposite really at school, Anna, because I grew up in in Birmingham City and I went to a very diverse school and it was an all-girls school as well. There were quite a high percentage of black girls and, and I 
never felt welcome in their space due to being mixed heritage. And there were a couple of other girls that I used to hang out with who were also mixed heritage. And there was a definite sense of kind of being ostracized from the group because we weren't fully black. And that's my lived experience as a kid as well, remembering back. And so, yeah, not feeling welcome and belonging, especially at school at that age in an all girls school. It was really traumatic at times. And it it stuck with me into adulthood and, and having to work through that and feel like I do and should belong in and amongst black people. And that took a while and it didn't help joining the military straight after college and being in an absolutely predominantly white environment. So it took a while to work through all that and be completely comfortable with myself. Yeah, I think a similar experience, albeit in a different way, that because I went to largely white schools and white university, people just regarded me as black or didn't think about it at all. So it was either you are black or or it was ignored. Uh, catching up with friends of mine in recent years and reflecting on some of the things that happened to me on football pitches where everybody else was white. And just looking back, all of us thinking, wow, we ignored it at the time, but that was awful. You know, it just, just wasn't a thing. There weren't other people around to identify it with. So uh, people didn't think about the fact that I might be of mixed heritage, but well... Uh, you're either black or you're just like the rest of us, which in a way is the right thing to do. But if things did happen that were slightly challenging, I don't think any of us knew really how to cope with it or, or how to deal with it and reflect on it sort of 20 years after the event. I think it's also maybe we've got better, I say vocabulary, but I suppose diversity inclusion has kind of climbed up the agenda and it, it ha- it's become a lot more commonplace to actually talk about it. Whereas I remember going to school, it wasn't really something that was talked about or it, it wasn't something, like you said, Rob, you just accepted it. It's like, yes, this is just the way things are. And I think now people are being encouraged to kind of question things or just like, actually, why is this the case? Or why am I being treated in this way? Is this actually the right way to be treated? Which hopefully that continues. Something that we've kind of touched on, but I think we could dig into a bit deeper. There's a diversity of experience here, but there's also a gender aspect to this, which I think would be interesting to dig into. Rob, do you kind of feel that there's a different perception of you? And how do you cope with that? Or do you not feel like there's a different perception? I think I did when I was younger. And that's partly because as well as being black or mixed race, I'm also six foot three and 14 stones. So there's a sort of unfortunate stereotype that goes with that, especially when you're a young man. Uh, I think we all know what they are without undergoing to be any instance. That's probably dropped away as I've got older. But yeah, to answer your question, absolutely. There are certain stereotypes that come with being of my race and, and my size that would cause people to literally prejudge me on sight as a result of those factors. Chloe, you kind of spoke about you didn't feel welcome with kind of the black girls at your school and there was a group of mixed race girls that you kind of ended up hanging out with more. I mean, did you kind of feel like as a mixed race woman that you were kind of treated differently or that there was a different perception of you? Yes, in some spaces I did, specifically, I suppose, in the dating kind of realms where exes had very openly said to me, like, I go for mixed heritage girls, like, that's my thing because of physical attributes, not so much the cultural side, but definitely down to a physiological level that they would go for mixed heritage people and I suppose when you're growing up and kind of forming a sense of self there's a side of you which is like yeah great I'm really like a wanted entity but then as you get older and you reflect back and you think oh goodness why would you say (laughs) like I get that people have types but to take it down to kind of race level and be so vocal about it in that way I suppose it's a little bit jarring now to, to think on it and then I echo what Rob says as well with regard to the physical attributes and the physicality 
of people of different ethnic minorities. And, and this isn't just black, it's, it's the assumptions and the put downs on, on other kind of races about how people look and perform in sports. So I've always been sporty. I go to the gym quite often. And the sentiment from PTs and, and people in the gym is, oh, well, if you've got black in you, then obviously you're going to be able to maintain muscle or build muscle and, and all of this sort of stuff. And it's those kinds of assumptions. And, and also, Things said to me in the past, which I wasn't even aware of, even as a mixed heritage person, is some of the discriminatory comments about black people and mixed heritage about swimming and about that we aren't very good swimmers and things like this. And that was quite shocking to me when I heard that growing up because I'd always swam from a really young age and was really good. And I suppose it's all these kinds of assumptions about men and women and their bodies and what they can and can't achieve and what all of that sort of stuff. When you're growing up and hearing that, it really does form part of your well, what you think is right. And it's not until you get older and you think, God, bloody hell, why would somebody say that to you? So yeah, there's there's definitely a difference with men and women, but that I find that there is that very sing- singular vein about physicality and body composition. What you guys have said has really resonated with me because my dad is six foot two and he wears a turban and him going out, his lived experience, like he'll go to football games and he's just like, no, we have to leave 10 minutes before the game's over. He's just got this kind of sixth sense of just like, no, we have to cross the road or we have to move. He's a tall guy. And I, but I also think because he looks different that people kind of prejudge him, like you said, Rob, earlier. And also as a mixed race woman, I have kind of exoticization like you mentioned, Chloe, of just like, oh, but I love your colouring and oh, I really like mixed race girls or, you know, that kind of thing, which again, at the time I thought was really flattering. I thought I was just kind of like, oh, I'm getting attention from boys. This is really exciting. But now you're just like, no, because they just saw me as an object. They didn't see me as a person. It was just that kind of, I ticked a box, which now thinking about it, I'm just like, actually, that was really hurtful or that wasn't great for self-esteem in general. But I think it's just, it was a real minefield of perception and how you're treated, which so many different kind of intersecting circles of just like, oh, so you're a man or a woman or what your mixed race background is and which you identify with more. So it's very complex, I think. So we've talked a lot about lived experiences and some of them have been negative, but I kind of wanted to talk more about some positive experience or how your lived experience has informed your professional self, as it were. So for me personally, I feel like because of my mixed race identity, I can talk to a lot of different people. I kind of have more of a confidence because I've had to adapt to different groups and talk to a lot of different people and fit in with a lot of different people. So I feel like that's made me better as a journalist because I do feel like I can talk to more people. And I don't know, Rob, if that's something that you can speak to at all. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think my upbringing was fairly diverse. I was actually born in Paris, although we moved when I was a very small baby. Moved to central London, which was a very diverse area. And at the age of six or seven, moved to just outside London, which was definitely not a very diverse area in the early 80s. And then went to university in Exeter, which was even less diverse and and full of public school boys and girls, which was not my environment at all. But throughout that sort of 18 year period, it meant that I'd socialised with lots of different types of people. And got it from a very diverse area as a very young child to a less diverse area and even less diverse area. So I think you're right, that sort of helped for me in terms of meeting and socialising with a whole different group of people. And, And usually with me being um, a bit of an outlier. So I had to sort of learn my way around, sort of fitting in with, with very different people, even though they might regard me as different. And I can vividly remember certain people that I met, especially university, who were very wary of me originally. And while I shouldn't have had to do this, I did have to work out how to get on with them and, and become friends with people who were wary of me initially. And that skill has seen me in good stead. And I'm, I'm still friends with some of these people 20, 30 years later. So I'd agree on that front. 
Uh, and in terms of the industry, I mean, one thing that's happened relatively recently in the last sort of four or five years, I've become involved in a couple of organisations that allow me to, to mentor people and get involved in mentoring. And these are networks that I possibly wouldn't, one certainly, another one probably, wouldn't be involved in as if I wasn't mixed race or of African heritage. So I enjoy that side of things. And that's definitely an opportunity that's been presented to me through my heritage or my race. Chloe, do you have anything? Yeah, I would agree with both yourself and Rob. Anna is uh, because I grew up in Birmingham, I was actually born in Liverpool and, and moved when I was a young child to Birmingham. And, and splitting my time between Liverpool and my time in Birmingham, my white family, my black family moving. And I've lived up and down the country being in the military. So I do agree that because of all those sides and elements of me, I do feel like it has helped me to just get on with anybody, to always be able to find that common ground. And also to have a more of a sympathetic side when you do see somebody, for whatever reason, that appears to be a bit of an outlier, slightly ostracised, doesn't quite fit the mould for whatever reason, be that socio-economic or, or disability or whatever it is, or just for no reason particularly at all, that I do tend to more gravitate toward those people because I can sense they don't necessarily feel comfortable or, or don't belong. And, and I empathise with that and the drive to make people feel welcome and comfortable with yourself and in whatever environment that you find yourself in. I, I think being mixed heritage and the experience that I've had as cultivated that kind of attitude and drive in me. I agree with that as well, just kind of like you can kind of identify or empathise with kind of like a wider range of people. And also I resonate with what you said of like, if you see people who maybe not who are kind of outliers, who are kind of like struggling to fit in, is it's like sometimes I'll see people at events and kind of standing on the outside and I'll try and make a point of like going up to them and be like, hi, <laughs> and kind of take the, I say that I call it like the kindergarten approach of just, you know, when you go up to someone and just like, right, you're my friend now. <laughs> We've kind of covered a lot of ground, but I think it would actually be good to kind of come back and kind of to concrete things that companies and people can do to better support mixed race employees and something that both of you mentioned was recruitment and mentoring. So, I mean, do you think that more should be done to kind of recruit more diverse people into the industry and how can that be improved? As I mentioned earlier on, both Chloe and I are part of the Accrue Network, which I'm privileged enough to be a founder member of. I think most people know the story. It was sort of inspired by the Black Lives Matters events of a couple of years ago, and Dom Scott was the driving force and got a group of us together, I think five or six of us, to work out what we could do. And, and we formed the Accrue Network, which I think now has nudging 200 members and exists largely as a LinkedIn group. But what that does is bring people from Black Heritage together and allow us to support each other. And, and while the, the LinkedIn group has sort of posts on there, over the, the real work goes on behind the scenes and allows people to connect. So I am contacted semi-regularly by usually younger people of Black Heritage who, who want some help, who want some advice, who might want a 20-minute phone call, who might want points in the right direction from their career, who might just want to a bit of a moan and a rant about some of their uh, lived experiences or who might want more practical help. Can you help find me a job in London? So um, two weeks ago, I spent the afternoon with a young guy who uh, is a black heritage, I think he's mixed race, so I'm not sure, who has moved down to London and lost a job that he moved down here for. Uh, I've been in touch with him before that. We'd spoken about the kind of job that he might go to. And now he needs to find another job. And we spent the afternoon together. We had lunch together. We had a chat. He sat in on a couple of meetings that I was doing, including a sales meeting with some financial planners who introduced business to us. And 
took them for a drink afterwards with the financial planners and we're still in touch and uh, I think we've got a couple of interviews lined up partly a result of things I've put them in touch with and someone else within the recruit network who had a chat with them so real practical sort of advice and help where through formats where you can network with people the way that I like to try and directly help people to come into the industry and to get on and progress within within the industry. It's a really really great initiative and I would really recommend it to anyone was the process to join is it quite a no it's it's a linkedin group and anyone within the industry can apply to join and they'll be accepted very quickly by by me or any other founders or administrators are within the site and then once you're in the group you can post messages and i've been directly approached by people who joined the group and obviously looked through the members or looked at the founders and thought oh, maybe rob can help me and uh, just sent me a message through linkedin and and we take it from there. It's all fairly straightforward and people are very willing to help people. That's what the group exists for. I've been very pleasantly surprised by, I guess you underestimate it, 20, 25 years experience within the industry. And I, as I mentioned, I had a previous financial services career, which is in investment banking. And I, outside the accrued network, I mentor some other people through another organization and they're more interested in banking than they are in mortgages. So yeah, you underestimate perhaps how much experience, how many contacts you have through 20, 25 years and through 20, 30 minutes on the phone and saying, oh, I can introduce you to someone else within a bigger lender or a bigger broker or a, a hedge fund because one of my other mentees wants to get into hedge funds. And you can do these things you know, fairly easily, fairly straightforward basis because you've built up that experience and it's a great way to put it to use and help people. I totally agree. I think it is really important for people from that's not just mixed race, but you are in a position where if someone approaches you and says, hey, I'm new to this industry, I want some advice and stuff, don't kind of do yourself down. Even if you can't help them now, always have that conversation. See what you can do to help because you know more than you think you do and your network is bigger than you think it is. And even if you can't help them now, actually making that connection can just help people, which is always good. Chloe, what about you? Do you think there should be more done to recruit more diverse people into the industry and how can it be improved i know it's something that you said but in your position you're in a position where you can make sure that the recruitment process is more diverse and is are there any tips that you can share with our audience just to kind of help them ensure that their recruitment process is as diverse as it could be it's something that you tend to do naturally and and i'm not sure if rob would agree but it's just there it's ever present and i think that comes from what i think is a lack of visual representation so because you don't see that much of it around the natural urge to diversify and make it better is ever present so specific actions that I take, I couldn't probably write down for anybody. It's just an inherent desire to improve what you see. And, and as we've seen in the media of late, specifically with, or is it Disney release Ariel with an actor who wasn't white as, as Ariel, having that visual representation means so much to people. And with my latest recruits, I think my last four recruits have all been of different ethnic minorities. And one thing that as part of a feedback, I think in some way, which really stuck with me, and I hope you won't mind me saying this, is that one of my recruits said, well, before the interview, I looked you up, I looked at your LinkedIn, I listened to your diff. And I'd also, there was a, like a video of something that I did for Sarva, which is a trainee surveyor scheme. And, and he said, and I saw who you were and, and that you mentioned your mixed heritage. And he was like, I was really excited and really wanted to work for you. I mean, that made me feel great in that I was able to attract this this person to the company because they wanted some representation in our industry and they wanted to work with us and me because of that. 
And to me, that's what it's all about. That's why I'm here, is to show that you can be any ethnic minority and you can achieve. And you can also put that back out into the world. And not only do I do that by doing these kinds of these diff things and supporting other people, I do that by supporting my colleagues and peers. And I think that that's something that we also need to bear in mind is that it's not just about what can we do as individuals, but how can we support each other? I'm part of a management team at the moment of the six of us. And it's about kind of buddying up with them and educating them and, and supporting them through these kind of recruitment processes. So they have an understanding of different ethnic minorities and maybe language and, and, and all that sort of stuff. So not just about what you can do, it's how you can share the love, really. I totally agree. And I think it's another aspect of it is not just kind of, we've talked about this before, it's not just getting people in, it's also keeping them in the industry and kind of improving that inclusivity and making them feel welcome and helping each other out and creating that community and I mean is there I feel like this is such a big question and I'm struggling to think of a answer to it but it's just like how can kind of inclusivity in workplaces be improved so that people from not just ethnic minority backgrounds but other different backgrounds can feel more welcome I don't know if there's any initiatives that Rob you have in place that Altura that you could talk to well we're a fairly small firm still at Altura so it is a bit hard to put in place sort of proper policies and procedures I guess I mean I know that can sound like an excuse we are a, a fairly diverse team and a bit like Chloe said I sort of live it rather than have processes and procedures in place for our smaller company. I'm also part of a, a network of financial advice firms, which includes financial planning firms globally. And I think I'm right in saying that all of the other principals are middle-aged white men. I know some of them pretty well by now, and I try and help them. A bit like Chloe said, I try and support them as peers. Some of them are self-confessed petrified to talk about these things. They don't want to offend. They don't know what the right language is. They don't feel confident. So it's trying to help them and trying to give them the confidence and saying if they have a black employee that I'm happy to talk to them and, and provide the sort of networking that maybe that they don't feel that they can. And, and just talking and trying to be sensitive to people's understandable, uncomfortable talking about this or, or maybe their prejudices that they don't quite know how to articulate and just trying to help people who really want to do good and be allies but don't know how to do it or how to start or some of these guys are in their late 40s early 50s and only really thought about this in the last two or three years and, and are really stuck in how to proceed so so trying to help people who want to be allies to become effective allies is something that we can do as well i totally agree it's an uncomfortable conversation to have not just for white people but also for the person from a different ethnic minority background it's uncomfortable for everyone but i think you just have to make sure that you have a safe space and that you're open and that you leave your judgment at the door and you just have to listen to others lived experiences and try and be as compassionate and empathetic as you can and also i think that's probably the best way to foster allyship and to kind of create those conversations as you said rob so i think we've covered a lot of ground on that podcast i hope that it's been helpful and thank you so much chloe and rob for sharing and for taking the time to talk to us today it's really greatly appreciated if you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.